listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Let's turn to God's nights to Revelation chapter 3. Go and look at the last of these letters to the seven churches. It is, of course, the church of the Laodiceans. It's here in Revelation chapter 3. Um, we'll read together from the verse number 14 to the end of the chapter. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou wert neither cold nor hot. I would, thou wert cold or hot. And so then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyes, salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, and let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All the other six churches, there was something that the Lord could see and command in terms of their service for him. This church, the church of the Laodiceans, well, there's nothing that the Lord finds commendable. One word stands out. It is there in the verse number 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm. Some of these words uh, sometimes, I believe, may be misunderstood. Clearly, the thought is that the Lord is condemning half-hearted religion. It's terrible to be lukewarm. The Lord says, I would, that thou wert cold or hot. Now, some have thought that the idea of coldness here refers to those that would openly hate the Lord. Better to openly hate the Lord than to pretend to be lukewarm. Now, we know clearly the Lord hates those who hate him. Here's a hatred for those who act in wickedness. We also know the Lord demands wholehearted commitment. He will not have lukewarmness. He commands that we take up our cross daily, we deny self, and follow Him. But the Lord is not making the point here that cold is better than lukewarm. Both are dreadful. Both are marked with tremendous consequence. The Lord here is likely making a point drawn on the historical and the geographical context Laodicea was known for its lukewarm, unclean, and virtually useless water. 
There were two neighboring cities. Heropolis, six miles north of Laodicea, was known for its hot springs, used for washing, for refreshing, for medical treatments. Colossae, about 10 miles east, was marked with cold, fresh drinking water from mountain stream. The difficulty was, Laodicea received its water from Hierapolis via aqueducts. If you know the history of Roman uh, structures, it is aqueducts and the, uh, the church in Laodicea, or the city of Laodicea, they received their waters from Hierapolis. By the time it got there far, it was, it was lukewarm and it was not pleasant to drink. It was really useless. It was neither the cold springs of Colossae, nor was it the hot water from Hierapolis. And so they were known for the lukewarm water. And to such a state, the Lord marks his disgust. I will spew thee out of my mouth. And since the language here says, I'm about to, I'm just ready to, I'm ready to spew you out of my mouth. Lukewarmness marks that spirituality that is tepid and flabby, half-hearted, limp, always ready to compromise, indifferent and listless. That list of synonyms comes from William Hendrickson and his work on Revelation. And so how do we handle this today? How do we look upon this as a church here in, in Malvern? Is it right for the preacher to say to you all, you're all a bunch of Laodiceans, therefore repent? We shouldn't look at these seven churches and try to fit ourselves into those churches. We'll be like some and less like others, but these are particular churches with particular problems. Perhaps for some, perhaps for some listening in, it may well be the case that you need to take stock of your lukewarmness, your listlessness, and you need to repent. Verse 19, be zealous therefore and repent. But I do not believe that as a whole our church is like Laodiceans. I don't believe that. I don't believe we're marked by indifference and lukewarmness and a half-heartedness. I don't believe that's the case. Yet, I know, I know most of you and I understand that the thought in your own mind will be, I'm not far off the state of being lukewarm. It's always a danger. We're aware of the danger and the possibility, and we're, we're like the disciples in the upper room, and we say, is it I, Lord? Am I marked by this looked warmness? And so tonight, rather than pointing the finger at you all and saying, look, you're like this and you're like that, I want to look at this and ask the question, well, how do we avoid becoming like the Laodiceans? Yeah, granted, individually there may be tendencies uh, undoubtedly, we've all got to guard our hearts, but ultimately, how do we avoid becoming like the Laodicean church? Well, first of all, let me encourage you to remember what you would be without Christ. The issue, actually, for the Laodiceans, not so much lukewarmness as it is pride. Lukewarmness is a consequence of their pride. Due to pride, they have become listless and lethargic in their spiritual exercise. Laodicea was known for its financial markets, some sort of primitive banking structure. It was known for its school of medicine, which developed an eye salve that was, that was popular in the region. It was also known for its wool, whereby they made these garments. 
And so you have there in verse number 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Here's their pride. And through their pride, they've become lukewarm, marked by the spiritual indifference. And so if you're going to prevent lukewarmness, you've got to guard your heart from pride. And to guard your heart from pride, you've got to remember what you would be without Christ. And we have a description here. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. The wretched and miserable, I think, are general descriptions for their state. The state because of their poverty, their blindness, and their nakedness. Note that Christ highlights those three areas in which they took pride in the physical. Their money. No, you're poor. Their eyes salve. No, you're blind. Their nakedness, they're proud of their garments. And the Lord highlights those three areas. But of course, he's speaking spiritually. They're taking confidence in the physical. And the Lord says, well, actually, your confidence in the physical is, is misguided because really you have nothing spiritually. And we're reminded that without Christ, we are wretched and miserable. We're poor and blind and naked. We think of our spiritual poverty. If you like our bankruptcy. Uh, bankruptcy, I think, describes it because not only do we have nothing to offer God, we owe God everything. We are infinitely debtors in God's sight. He's given us life and breath for His glory. And having failed to do that, we owe the Lord everything. We, we are absolutely spiritually bankrupt. We know that Christ was rich and became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. But even that very text reminds us of our poverty, that in of ourselves we needed one to come to deal with our poverty to grant us riches. Christ had to come to address our spiritual bankruptcy. We've, we've nothing to offer to the Lord, nothing to pay for God's favor. We've no place for pride. We've no place to say that we are rich and have need of nothing. We are poor. We are blind. We know how Paul describes the walk of the Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 4. In the vanity of their minds, their understandings darkened because of the blindness of the heart. Without Christ, we, we don't see things clearly. We don't see sin. We don't see ourselves. We don't see the Savior. We don't see salvation. We see nothing. We're blind. And of course, we're also marked by nakedness. Turn over to chapter 16. Revelation 16, the verse 15, you'll see, I guess, a cross reference regarding this matter of spiritual nakedness. Here, referring to the sixth angel pouring out the vials of wrath. We're seeing here a description of the final day of judgment. And you have the Lord saying, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Here's, here's what's true for those outside of Christ. They're, they're marked by the shame of their nakedness. It goes by, of course, to the garden. And the eyes were opened. Genesis chapter 3, they knew that they were naked. They knew shame. You see, if we are going to be spiritually warm or cold in a refreshing sense, if we're going to be spiritually useful, not lukewarm, we've got to continually remind ourselves that we're nothing without Christ. 
And in of ourselves, we are we're poor, we're bankrupt, we're blind, and we're marked by shame and nakedness. What an embarrassment it is to stand in the presence of God. That's a thought here. We, we understand nakedness is marked by human shame. Now, at least it ought to be. But here's a spiritual shame standing before God and without the garments whereby we're accepted in Christ. We've got to remember at all times where we come from. It's a challenging situation for the child of God because we understand that in Christ we're no longer poor, blind, and naked. We'll see that in a minute or two. That's not our present state, but we've got to remind ourselves that's what we wear, that's what we are without Christ. Whilst that's not what we are now, that is what we wear without the Saviour. Which leads to the second thing then, if we're going to avoid this matter of lukewarmness, going to avoid being laid out of sea, and we must, we must reach out to Christ for all of our needs. He tells us that, verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me. He's going to give a list, and we'll come to that list in a moment or two. But Christ is, he's showing himself again to be the source of all of our needs. Do you remember in each of these letters the importance of the opening description of Christ? Well, here it is also in verse number 14. Christ has said, he's the amen, the faithful and true witness. In other words, his testimony is true regarding their states. But note how he's described at the end of the verse. He is the beginning of the creation of God. My beginning, we should not think that he's therefore the first creature. We understand the Russellites taught such heresy. That's not the sense of the term. The beginning of the creation of God refers to Christ as the source of all creation. The spring out of which creation comes. You think of Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. That phrase, that concept taken by John, first or John chapter 1, all things were made by him. Or Paul in Colossians chapter 1, for by him were all things created. Christ is the source of all creation. Therefore, he is the one who's altogether rich. See, we're going to be told to go and buy without money and without price. And if you're going to buy without money, you want to make sure the one you're buying off has the resources to freely give you all you need. And Christ has those infinite resources. There's nothing, in, nothing lacking in Christ's ability to give us all things richly. He is the source of all creation, and therefore he is the source of all blessing, and he is the only one who can meet all of our spiritual needs. And so he says, I counsel thee, buy of me gold tried in the fire. Again, that, that language is so, is so readily available to the child of God, understanding the Old and the New Testament, refined gold that speaks of holiness and purity. Speaks of that holiness that becomes our spiritual wealth and riches. Think of the temple of God. Think of all the gold, the refined gold used in the temple, marking the holiness of God. Well, we're, we're given the offer, the promise that Christ can give us this. Holiness in God's presence. Think of the white raiment that's offered. I counsel thee, buy of me gold and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. I don't need to tell you all this speaks of Christ's righteousness. The fine linen of the saints, 
You look back at chapter 3 of, of this very letter, the chapter we're in, and you'll see in the verse number 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And then verse 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. The, the, the reality of our, our standing in Christ's righteousness. There's no shame when we stand in Christ. No shame in His righteousness at all. We've got the promise of gold and white raiment. And I salve that surpasses the best of I salve in Laodicea. Anoint thine eyes with I salve that thou mayest see. There's a promise of sight here. Spiritual sight. Christ, the source of these things, the source of our sight, the source of our clothing, the source of our gold, whereby we are truly rich in God's sight. These are spiritual terms. But they denote that we can have all things in Christ Jesus. These things are offered in the Scriptures to be purchased without cost. Isaiah 55, buy without money, without price. It's a free gift of grace. Essentially, by coming to buy, we're coming to ask. We're getting rid of our pride. And we're humbling ourselves, saying, I have no money, I have nothing to buy. I need to buy these things. I, I, I'm, I'm coming to you, the source of all these gifts, but I, I have nothing to offer. I need to buy it, but I have nothing to offer. And the Lord, He gladly says, here, take it all. You've come to the right place to get everything you need to stand before me. This, this council, verse 18, is written to a church family that is professing faith, but not knowing the reality spiritual dullness and lethargy, half-heartedness and things of God. And they must repent. This actually is one of the most difficult churches to interpret theologically. The Lord's telling them to take gospel blessings, that they're lukewarm, but yet He has not yet spewed them out of His mouth. And he describes them, listen, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's the language that Christ, he preserves for the child of God. How far can a church fall from spiritual vitality and yet still be a true church? A, a significant question there. But the remedy to those who become lukewarm in spiritual vitality, the remedy is the same as it is for the unbeliever. It's Christ in the gospel. And so the backslider, the lukewarm person, there's a, an opportunity to repent. You know, there are some people and they, they find themselves in such a spiritual state that they presume they were never saved. Here's, here's backsliding to the point that the Lord is almost about to spew them out of his mouth. And yet all is not lost. Don't presume if you've fallen away spiritually to a, a very significant place that all is lost. That you've apostatized and you've, you've become reprobate and there's no hope for your salvation. See in this portion the, the, the offering of Christ and the gospel to those who are lukewarm that if they repent, there is the promise of Christ to meet all of their spiritual needs. Flee, yes, flee from pride and run to Christ to buy all that you need without money, without price. Spiritual lukewarmness to prevent it. We must remember what we would be without Christ and we must reach out to Christ for all of our needs. 
That's the ongoing, the ongoing need of the child of God. And thirdly, if we are to avoid this matter of lukewarmness, we must resolve in our hearts to continually commune with Christ. Verse 20 is a wonderful offer. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, will sup with him, and he with me. This is the Lord's offer. What tenderness, what grace there is in this. It is the offer of communion, of fellowship. I will sup with him and he with me. What a blessed offering this is. Christ is offering the believer himself. Uh, with all the blessings, gold and garments, I salve all those things that we need in our spiritual poverty and bankruptcy, but here's the offer of Christ himself. Think of John 14, where it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Communion. This is true spiritual life. It is knowing the Lord is pleased to come and speak to us and allows us to speak to him. Those of you who are converted for, for some time, you understand this reality. You've, you've known it in your own experience. You've, you've heard the Lord speak to you directly from the word, and you've, you've known the blessing of, of having his ear. By the implication of this, it seems that those who are marked by lukewarmness have lost this communion. Those who are cold and lethargic, they, they lose just the sense of Christ's presence. They lose the joy of hearing his word. How do you know you look warm? Well, it's often seen because you've no hunger to be in the house of God under the word of God. You've no hunger to read the word of God, and you've certainly no desire to pray. These are the signs of lukewarmness because communion's gone. But Christ is willing. Please note again, here's a church in a desperate state, nothing positive, and yet Christ is... He's knocking at the door. He's, he's willing to come in and commune with them again. What a blessing. But if this is lost, it reminds us that if we are to avoid lukewarmness, we must treasure the blessedness. We must desire to maintain our communion with Christ. I wonder, is there more to this offering of coming to fellowship than what we may know individually. This is spoken to a church. Is it the Lord addressing the church in terms of perhaps his presence at the Lord's table? Coming to sup with them, to eat with them, like a, like a church as a whole, acknowledging their lukewarmness and accepting the fact that we need, we need Christ to come and minister to us, perhaps at the Lord's table particularly? You see, lukewarmness it's always prevented by closeness to Christ, by communion with Christ. It is the Lord's communion that makes us refreshing, cools us that we can refresh others. It's also Christ's closeness that warms our hearts. Just, just note those things. Coldness, the cold springs from Colossae or the warm waters of Hierapolis. They're useful to others. And so as we are close to Christ, so then we are, we're useful in the Lord's service to, to refresh and encourage and even heal others. But closeness to Christ is the key. That's why he says that the remedy is, yes, repent, so that I then will come and meet with thee and sup with thee. 
Well, are we lukewarm? Well, I don't, I don't believe the church were in that state. But is it possible? Oh, it's very possible. Is it possible individually? Is it possible individually even now, even tonight? Yes, it is. You see, our Savior is not worthy of any lukewarm devotion. When we understand the glory of our Savior and the glory of His work, He is, he is not worthy of any lukewarm devotion. Therefore, the Lord says, verse 19, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Burn in your soul with a zeal for Christ Jesus. We've discussed in recent times the, the matter of religious enthusiasm. We saw the mighty men of David. Oh, it is, it is not, a, not a bad thing to be enthusiastic in the things of Christ. Rather, to not be enthusiastic is a dreadful thing. We are to be zealous, to humbly take Christ as is offered in the gospel, and to delight in his presence. Let me close with a quotation from Samuel Davis. And the great preacher ends a sermon on lukewarm religion with these words. He says, Therefore, awake, arise, exert yourselves, strive to enter in at the straight gate, strive earnestly, or you're shut out forever. Infuse heart and spirit into your religion. Whatever your hand finds to do in this all-important matter, do it with your might. Now this moment, while my voice sounds in your ears, now begin with vigorous enterprise. Now collect all the vigor of your souls and breathe it out in such a prayer as this. Here's your prayer tonight. Lord, fire this heart with your love. Prayer, says Davis, is a proper introduction. For let me remind you of what you should never forget, that God is the only author of this sacred fire. It is only He who can quicken you. Therefore, you poor, careless creatures, fly to Him in an agony of importunate prayer, and never desist, never grow weary, until you prevail. May God help us to hear the testimony of Christ, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, to assess our own spiritual state, if there is that tendency towards lukewarmness, may the Lord help us to get back and be right with Christ. If we find ourselves altogether lukewarm, may we be zealous and repent. Whatever the case may be, may we burn in love for the Savior. Um, may we be cold and refresh others with the beauty of the gospel of Christ. May the Lord encourage us in and through his word tonight. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.